Well, good morning. Once again, I bring you greetings from Metro Manila, the Philippines, and it's been a real joy to be in partnership with you. We're thankful for your prayers, your partnership, and it was also a joy to get to meet Pastor Scott. I was telling him when I gave him a phone call that perhaps this is a time in this trip, this is our second time out of the country since the pandemic, that we would reconnect with some of the churches here in California. So, uh, And so the Lord worked it out, and uh, thankfully we got a chance. And boy, this place has grown. So big difference since the last time we were. I think we were here the last time about four, five, maybe six years ago. So uh, we're thankful with what the Lord is doing. I'm thrilled, excited to see how God is working here at the same time as how God is working back home. Well, as Pastor said, I am married to one wife, okay? The Lord has blessed us with five lovely children, and three of them are married. All of them have professed come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and are actively involved in the local church where they're now connected with. All of them play the piano. Four of them, from the second to the youngest, play the violin. And if you remember, some of you were here when we were here, is that Danielle, our youngest, uh, would play a special number before I would normally preach. Now we're going through our empty nest. The only one left in our nest is our dog. And um, <clears throat> so other than that, so uh, we're thankful that for the multiple opportunities God has given us to serve him, you know, all because of his matchless grace, because we certainly do not deserve anything but condemnation and wrath. But it's all because of his grace that we are serving him. We love him because he first loved us. All right. So let's go to the text of scripture and uh, share some thoughts from the word of God to you. Turn your Bibles, please, with me to the book of Acts chapter 16. The book of Acts chapter 16, I shall read to you the first four or five verses of this portion. The book of Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Perhaps I'm going to request everybody to please stand. Let us read this portion of scripture responsively and then together at the fifth verse. I read verse 1, you read verse 2 on the line, then we read verse 5 all together. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. Which was well reported of by the brethren that were in Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep, that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. Verse 5 together. And so were the churches established in the faith, and increased in number daily. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we humbly come before thy throne of grace. Thank you for this day, your faithfulness and mercies renewed. And most importantly, we thank you for Calvary, all that has been accomplished at the cross through the shed blood of your son. Thank you for raising him from the dead as proof of his deity, as vindication of his claims, as guarantee of our own resurrection, and as proof that you have accepted the sacrifice of your son as the only acceptable payment for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for grace that is greater than our sin. 
And thus we pray that if there's anyone in this room today who does not know Jesus Christ, may thy Holy Spirit use your sharp-edged sword to bring him or her under deep conviction that he may flee from the wrath to come to finally take refuge in Christ as Savior. For those of us who have already done so, Lord, speak to our hearts like David, we pray, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And we shall thank you for it. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right. And we're looking at the book of Acts, 28 chapters written by Luke, the beloved physician, a companion of the Apostle Paul. And just like all other books in the Bible, they were written by men, all right? Fallible men, but nonetheless moved by an infallible Holy Spirit. No less than the third person of the Trinity moved these writers of Scripture so that we know that the very words that they wrote, the choice of words that they placed, using their styles and temperaments and personalities, when they wrote the words, they were the very words that the Holy Spirit wanted written down. That's the miracle of inspiration, the result of which is an inerrant text, an inerrant Bible, so that we have an inspired, the proof of an inspiration is, the product of inspiration is inerrancy. If anybody asks you, how do you know the Bible is without error? The proof of inerrancy is inspiration. God moved the writers of Scripture, and God cannot make mistakes. God cannot lie. He is God. And therefore, when he moved these writers, he recorded for us exactly what he wanted written down. The book of Acts, 28 chapters, was written by Luke, and it is a record of the first 30 years of the Christian church. How the church began when Jesus Christ, after his death, burial, and then his resurrection, chapter 1, prior to his ascension, and eventually his ascension, and then 10 days later, the day of Pentecost, and how the Holy Spirit inaugurated this body of believers so that the Spirit of God started working in this band of believers, a band of 120 disciples, scared disciples in the upper room, yet nonetheless where they were radically transformed by the Spirit of God so that they literally turned the world upside down under the great Roman Empire. Christianity during that time was a haunted, was an illegal religion. There were a haunted and a hated people. They had to go underground. They had codes in order to communicate just to make sure that this person is a Christian or he is not. So this is how, this was the setting way back then. But what is interesting is as Luke records or narrates to us how the church grew, there is an often repeated phrase in the book of Acts, and it is that phrase we read in verse 5. The churches were established in the faith and increased in number daily. The Lord would add to the church those who would be saved, and then the church would be established in the faith and increased in number daily. It gives you the impression that when you come to that phrase, that the writer seems to be taking a pause, this is what happened in this episode, and the churches grew. And here's another story, and this is what happened, and this is what happened, therefore the churches grew. In chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, we are introduced to a biblical character. For the first time in this narrative, his name, Timothy. The name means honoring God. And it is interesting, we are told that when Timothy comes into the scenario, the churches were established in the faith and increased in number daily. That says a lot about this man. Paul wrote to him his, his, his pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy. We find them towards the latter part of the New Testament. And Paul calls him a man of God. What a privileged title. 
God used this man so that the churches were established in the faith and increased in number daily. I just wonder if the Spirit of God were to record the history of the 21st century church and he would mention your name. Hopefully he would say the same thing. The churches were established in the faith and increased in number daily. Or would he say otherwise? God forbid. But this is exactly what happened to Timothy. It says a lot about this man's character and his usability for God. In every biblical narrative, the hero is God. And God is using human instruments to carry out his divine purposes way back in the first century as he does so today. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The question I'd like to answer this morning is this. How is it that Timothy was so usable for God in the first century? How is it and why is it that he was so usable so that he made a positive impact for the overall cause of Christ so that we are told churches were established in the faith? Not the church, but churches were established in the faith and increased in number daily. And I would like to suggest this morning three reasons that made his life such a usable instrument for the overall cause of Christ. Point number one. He had childhood indoctrination. Turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> All right, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now I brought my New Testament. I'm sure it's somewhere here. Got it. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here's what Paul says in the opening verses of that chapter, of chapter 1. He says, verse 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, meaning it's authentic faith, that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Timothy had childhood indoctrination. He had the privilege of sitting under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God at a very tender age, under the teaching of his mother and grandmother. What a blessing. What a blessing grandparents and parents are because we have an opportunity to shape the thinking of our children and grandchildren right there in our own home. Sometimes we think that we have to go out into the field in order to preach the Word of God when our Jerusalem is right there in our own home. God used the great, great women of God, Lois and Eunice, to instruct Timothy the, te- the truths of the ver- Word of God at a very tender age. What a privilege Timothy had. He was a second, perhaps a third generation Christian so that he enjoyed the teaching of the Word of God at a very tender age. Now, Listen, young people, some of you have that privilege. Your parents are Christians. Your grandparents are Christians. Never take that privilege for granted. The sad thing is many people, I mean, I was a first generation Christian. And when I got saved, I was wondering what's happening inside the church. I want to know more what's happening. I want to sit under the teaching and preaching of the word of God and go to church. I was a first generation Christian. Sadly, many second generation or third generation Christians are not outside looking in. They're inside. They're looking out. And sometimes we think the grass is always greener the other side of the fence than it is not. The world seems to be very appealing and Satan is a way of packaging the world so it becomes appealing to the flesh. And the Bible says, yes, sin has pleasures, but they bring pleasures 
for only a season. So don't you be duped, young people. If you have godly parents and grandparents, what a privilege you have. As a first-generation Christian, you know what? I had to burn the midnight oil. I did not see, have the privilege Timothy had. I had to, when I got saved in 1974 as a 14-year-old boy, Eventually, I picked up my New Testament, as I shared earlier this morning, and started reading for the first time. And lo and behold, first time, I saw truths in Scripture that I was never taught before. And I've, the only re- thing I regret in the Christian life is I, I wish I could have known Christ earlier. See, I got saved at 14. I wish I could have known Christ earlier. Young people never take that privilege for granted. And parents... Grandparents, listen, what a privilege we have. God has entrusted immortal souls from Jesus Christ died for under our care so that we can right there in our own Jerusalem teach them the truths of God's eternal word. That's what Timothy enjoyed. He enjoyed childhood indoctrination. Turn with me to chapter 3. And in verse 15, it says, Timothy, from a child... Thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Apparently when Timothy was a child, not one line of the New Testament was written yet. Second Timothy was written, Timothy was already an adult. So when he was a child, he did not have the New Testament yet. So apparently he had teaching from the Old Testament. His grandmother and mother taught him the, the Old Testament, and from my readings, I am told a typical godly Jewish home would teach their children, guess what book of the Old Testament? The book of Leviticus. Perhaps the last book that we would ever consider reading. But this is what they were teaching their children. The holiness of God is the theme of the book of Leviticus. And what it means to get right with God through all those sacrifices. What a privilege Timothy had to be instructed the word of God at a very tender age. And notice what that verse says. You've known the Holy Scriptures, Timothy. It has made you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ. Three key words in that verse. First is salvation. In other words, you've known salvation through the scriptures. The Bible is a book on salvation. It tells us how to be delivered from something. And the Bible tells us we are born in trespasses and sins. We are born slaves of sin. Regardless of our religious background, you may be Roman Catholic, Baptist, Protestant, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever the case might be. All of us were born into this world as a sinner. And regardless of our religious affiliation, those will never save us, will never earn us points to heaven. So Timothy, it was the same thing. He he came into the world as a sinner, but he was instructed how to be delivered, delivered, to be saved. And the Bible is a book on salvation, to save us from our sin. So, book of salvation. And it says in verse 15, salvation is found where? It is found in Christ Jesus. It is found in nowhere else. Jesus said himself, I am the way. We read this verse earlier. The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. He claimed the only sole exclusive way to the Father. I came from a Roman Catholic background. Served as an altar boy before I 
came to know Christ as Savior, studied at Jesuit University. And the Jesuits, of course, they are the intelligentsia of the Roman Catholic Church. And they, they studied years of their theology in their seminary. I was a new Christian. I remember I was about three months old in the Christian life. I had read maybe three or four gospel tracts. You know, that's the enough light that I had so that I, I at least understood much of the gospel. So my professor was teaching the class on Mariolatry, to pray to Mary. And I, my soul was so grieved. Like I was I, I, I sitting there and I said, I, I think I have to ask a question. I think I have to challenge this because the, my professor was telling the whole class to go to Mary in order to go to God. I said, well, but this professor knows what he's talking about. I'm just a new Christian, etc. So I was struggling whether I was going to raise my hand or not. And finally, ah! Raised my hand. Yes, he said. Well, I have a question, sir. What is it? Well, you say we pray to God through Mary. What about John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I said to myself, now I'm in trouble. <laughs> but guess what he said? He said, Good for you. I said, what did I say? Good for you. Because you know what? You have such strong faith in God. So you can go, you feel you can go directly to God through Christ. Others in this class don't have that much faith. So they feel they can pass by the, they have to pass through the mother before they go eventually to God. I said, well, he had an answer, but he didn't, he didn't answer my question. Follow up question, sir. What about 1 Timothy 2.5? Only one God and only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Now I'm in deep trouble, I thought. But he said the same thing. Good, like I said, good for you. I said, wow. He had no answer. It was just, it was just like me when the lady was sharing me the gospel and I would always argue and enter into a debate and she showed me Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and I read that, read that text. I had no answer. I had to wrestle with the text of Scripture. It's right there, black and white. Same thing with these professors. So early in my Christian life, I came across Psalms 119, 97 to 100 and somewhere there it says, I have more understanding than all my teachers because I keep thy precepts. He was totally disarmed. With his years of seminary training, when he opened, opened up the scriptures, what he, what he had to say to this? Nothing. He just very smoothly said, good for you. <laughs> it kind of avoided some kind of a clash in the class, but that's how it happened. And I went through many of those instances going through the Jesuit University. It's only by the grace of God. Usually you go through universities like that and you come out wobbly in your faith. By God's grace, you know, I was really challenged to study the Bible even more, even though we didn't have a local church way back then. But anyway, going back to the text, Paul said to Timothy, from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures, it is able to make you wise unto salvation. The Bible is a book on salvation. This salvation, according to the Bible itself, is found where? Exclusively in Jesus Christ. Now, fine, but how can it be yours? How can it be mine? Paul answers it right there in the text. It is through faith in Christ Jesus. There is no other way. 
It's not through rituals. It's not through relics. It's not through rosary beads. It's not through religion. It's through faith. Faith is the means by which we receive the gift of salvation that is found exclusively in Christ. Peter said, there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Paul said, as we quote the first Timothy 2.5, only one God and only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Unless you put your faith in Christ then you will not be saved. Timothy had that privilege of childhood indoctrination. He heard the truths of the Word of God, even from the Old Testament, from his godly mother and godly grandmother. Let me challenge you parents, grandparents. Have we been assuming that God gave them responsibility to instruct our children the Word of God? Listen, our children need food, shelter, clothing, education, maybe the latest gadget, but one thing that cannot be denied is they need to be saved. They are sinners just like everybody else born into this world and not because my, my five children were born from a, because their father is a pastor. That automatically means they're saved. No, we never inherit salvation. What we inherit is sin. And we all need to be saved all through the merits of Jesus Christ. And that can be yours. You may be hearing the gospel here right this morning. But unless you put your faith in him, then salvation will not be yours. That brings me to the second point. How come Timothy was greatly used of God? Number one, he had what? Childhood indoctrination. Second, he had what? He had a conversion experience. He came to know Christ as Savior despite his spiritual or religious background, his godly heritage. He came to the point of putting his trust in Christ. Again, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when I called to remembrance the unfeigned faith, it was genuine, it was authentic, that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother, Lois, in thy mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. We say, how did Paul say that? Paul did not see Timothy's faith. I cannot see your faith. Neither can you see mine. Because it's, it's something between me and God. Well, Paul must have seen something in Timothy, which was the evidence of faith. The book of James talks about this. The evidence of faith is works. The evidence of faith in Christ is a transformed life. You see, the grounds of our salvation is Christ and his finished work. The means to salvation is faith. The result is a transformed life. And don't mix that up. Or you fall into heresy. Some people say the means of salvation is works. Or through rituals or relics, etc. And that, that messes it up. It's heresy. All religious systems teach that you earn your way to heaven through human merit and good works. And therefore, that would mean that what Christ did on Calvary was nothing. The words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.21, For if righteousness can come through the law, then Christ died in vain. There would have been no point for Jesus or God to send His Son to die on the cross of Calvary if any one of us could enter heaven through our own human merit. Many Filipinos try to do every possible, perhaps third world countries, try to do every possible way in order to enter to the United States. I guess you know that down south if you're of, of California, right? So they try to find means and ways. And sometimes I joke our fellow Filipinos, listen, 
from the Philippines all the way to the United States. You can work out all day and all night and exercise and prepare so that you can try to swim through the Pacific Ocean and get to the other side, but it is not, you are not going to make it. Imagine the distance. Imagine the sharks and all of that you'll have to face. There is no way you can make it on the other side. Listen, those of us who think we can make it to heaven through our workout, through our good works, no way. You cannot. I learned that thankfully after so many times the lady was so patient sharing me the gospel. And I said, I cannot save myself. That is why I needed a savior. My rituals and relics and rosaries, all of it combined was not enough credential to get me married heaven. In fact, I had to strip myself of all my good works, all of my credentials. In the words of the Apostle Paul, he said in Philippians chapter 3, all of these things, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benazir, all of those earthly credentials, he said, I count them but dung, that I may win Christ. To him it was all trash, garbage, and excuse the language, the word there basically means human excrement. All of these human achievements are nothing. They cannot save. And that is why when we come to the foot of Calvary, if ever we're going to be saved, it's all because of His grace and mercy. We strip ourselves of all self-righteousness, trust in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And that's what happened to Timothy somewhere along the line. Now, Paul could not see his faith. I cannot see yours. You cannot see mine. But Paul must have seen something that was the evidence of his faith. A transformed life that he said, that's why he said, I am convinced that this authentic faith is in thee also. Let me ask you, since you made your profession to receive Christ as your Savior, has there been evidence of a transformed life? One preacher once asked, if you were apprehended for being a Christian... Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Hopefully. I wonder. You really think about that. Would they find evidence? This guy is a Christian. Therefore, let's prosecute him or execute him. I hope there will be enough evidence. Because the evidence, what evidence are we talking about? A transformed life. In the case of the Thessalonian believers, the Bible tells us the Thessalonians had their work of faith. That is, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. They turned from all forms of idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of the creature more than the Creator. A genuine believer turns to the only one true God from all of the idols to serve the only one true living God. Are you a Christian? Has there been evidence Is there enough evidence to convict you? For Timothy, there was evidence. That's why Paul said, I am convinced that it is in thee also. Listen, you can place a sinner, or let's say, you can get a chair and place it in the garage, and that chair does not become a car, doesn't it? You can get a sinner and bring him inside the four walls of a church facility, and that doesn't make him a Christian. A person needs to be born of the Spirit of God. In John 1, 12, we are told, But as many as received Him, that's faith, to them, them who receive Him, to them, God gives them the power to become 
the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, the person needs to receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior in order to become a child of God. Now, this is radical doctrine in Roman Catholic circles because we were taught that all men are children of God. I was teaching this in the Bible study with cancer patients. We have a Bible, cancer patient, a Bible study with cancer patients. The doctor is a Christian, is a friend of ours, and sometimes she, she has this Bible study with about 42, 45 people most of them are her, her patients and gives us the opportunity to share them the gospel and many of them are still Roman Catholics so I've brought this truth to them and one lady said pastor this is the first time I'm having a hard time wrapping this around my head not all men are children of God look at the text all men are creatures of God but not all men are children of God because we become his children when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. John 1 verses 10 to 12. He was in, he was in the world and the world was made by him. All of us are creatures of God, but only those who receive him, they become children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. This was the case of Timothy. He had a conversion experience and therefore became a child of God through the miracle of the new birth. So what's the first one? What made him such a usable instrument? He had childhood indoctrination. Second, he had a conversion experience. But last point, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. And notice in verse 19, down the line, Paul was writing to the Philippian saints, and here's what he said, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send who? Timothy. Timothy was shortly unto you, so that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ. Paul had a team of missionaries as he would travel and preach the gospel. But it seems to me that in this particular instance, Paul was writing his prison epistles. The book of Philippians is one of Paul's prison epistles. And he was writing this while he was in jail. For preaching the gospel, he was incarcerated and he said, all, I have no man like-minded, verse 20, who will naturally care for his state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But you know the proof of him, referring to Timothy, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel, him. Therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with thee. Brings me to the third point. Childhood indoctrination, conversion experience. Thirdly, he was involved in Christian service. He became a partner of the Apostle Paul in carrying out the gospel message to different fields of their day. He was involved. After getting saved, listen, you need to get involved in serving the Lord. You know what, you know what the Bible says? You know what God's doing today? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What in the world is God doing with all that's taking place around us, well, the Bible says God is building His church. And because God is building His church, every one of His own people should be involved in building His church. If this is what God's doing, then I want to be a part of it. 
Would you want to be a part? I hope you ought, you ought to be. You and I ought to be a part of it. And so therefore, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you ought to be serving Him. Serving Him in the local church ministry and being faithful to Him Telling others about the Savior as far as unsaved people are concerned. Making yourself usable as an instrument to be an instrument of encouragement and edification to the others who are in the household of faith. This was Timothy. He was involved in Christian service. No wonder when Luke was recording the first 30 years of the Christian church. He comes right in the middle of his narrative, chapter 16. He introduces Timothy into the scenario and he says... The churches were established in the faith and increased in number daily. You know what my prayer is back home? It's my prayer here too. I am praying that we will see an army of Timothys being raised in this church. It will start right in your own home. Don't let discipleship be left on the shoulders of pastor. Discipleship should start at home. Do you know the divine laboratory to make disciples? is in the home, right where you are. So I'm preaching to you, so I'm preaching to myself. We have a huge responsibility. God sees that we have broad enough shoulders to take this responsibility. Then let's do it. Let's make ourselves usable to make our homes a home where the gospel is preached, where Christ is comfortably at home in our place, so that every member of the family relatives, loved ones, neighbors can come to know our Savior. And thus, more people will come to know Christ and churches were established in the faith and be increased in number daily. Would you be one of those instruments? Would you say, Pastor, God spoke to me. First of all, I'm one of those younger people. I'm a second, third generation Christian, but I don't want to be allured by the temptations of the world outside. I should take this as a great privilege to be sitting under the teaching and preaching of a Bible preaching church at the same time sitting under the teaching of my own parents and grandparents. What a privilege you have. Don't take it for granted. And so I hope young people grab that wonderful opportunity and soak the word of God in as much as you can. For those of us who are first generation Christians, then perhaps we'll have to burn the midnight oil. Study the Bible more so that we can soak in more and be more equipped to share our faith to others. But let me leave that challenge. You say, Pastor, I want to be that Timothy. I want to be, so that if the Spirit of God were to write 21st century Christianity, he would say, I come into the picture that I would be an instrument so that the churches would be established in the faith and increase in number daily. That's my prayer for each and every one of us. Father in heaven, we humbly come before thee. We thank you for how you've been working in our lives and how the same God who did work, who is working in our lives, is the same God who worked in the lives of these believers of the first century. We thank you that the problem, the problem of sin is the same problem then as it is today. It is also the same solution. That's the gospel of Christ. So help us, Lord, to get involved. Since you are building your church, help us to be involved in building your church by making ourselves usable instruments for your glory. While our heads are bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, I'm going to turn over the pulpit to the pastor for the invitation.